I hear you this time. That's strange. I wonder what we did different this time that we didn't do last time. Hmm. Uh, I did notice that something popped up on my phone and said, um, can Anchor use your microphone? And I said yes to it, but I wonder if it just didn't accept it that first time or something. Yeah. Well, this will be good. This will be good. Be good testing anyway. Do some good. So um, uh, how much time do you have for this call? Uh, I think I blocked out 30 minutes for us. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's jump in. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of kick it off because I've been, I've had a f- couple days under my belt with empowerment. And um, one of the first pieces that was, was interesting for me, Paul, was on Monday morning, I was talking to the guys about the difference between delegation um, directives and empowerment. And the definition that we've used uh, that we launched on Monday was that you've been uh, you've been properly whatever that means trained to execute a task, and then you're empowered to carry out that task, which is quite a bit different than not being trained to do something, and then uh, being directed to execute it. So, if you're, for instance, one of the young men has no electrical experience, and if I told him, "Hey, I'm," delegating or giving you directives to go do my rough electric at my house, um, I'm setting you up for failure. That's not empowerment. Empowerment is me training you how to do the rough electric and then empowering you to go to this address and execute that. So that's, that's the way we launched on Monday. What is your, what's your first blush at the word empowerment? What is it? What resonates with you? So what came up for me as you were talking was what are the ingredients of empowerment? Because as you talked about delegation and empowerment as it relates and then trained, then empowered, is there, is there a step? Are there steps between trained and empowered? Are there more steps than just training? So exploring the idea that if empowerment has ingredients, what are those ingredients Mm. uh, before it's ready to bake, so to speak, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're going to put it all in and then putting the, putting this concoction in the oven is, is sending yeah. the person off on their way to do what they're going to do. In this case, sure. someone to do electric work. It, it certainly includes training. Right. Uh, and then of course, empowerment, is it a verb or is it a definition of, or a description of someone's state? Mm-hmm. And so what makes up that in- ingredients? In the past, you and I have talked a lot about teach, train, equip uh, yes. before, before accountability. And so yeah. uh, there's teaching, there's training, there's equipping. Are those all yeah. parts of empowering someone? I believe so. Otherwise, you're setting them up for failure. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, the, yes, there's a huge, uh, there's a huge disconnect um, with even the accountability word um, when somebody hasn't been properly equipped to execute um, whatever the task or roles or responsibility is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and I think it's cutting corners. I think it's the spending the time 
the time it takes to actually teach, train and equip somebody, you know, it's almost like it, if I, if I kind of, if I re-engineered back to you watch me do something and then uh, we do it together and then I watch you do it. And after that third step is when you could be empowered to execute it. Right. So you watch me hang the drywall. Then we hang the drywall together. Then I watch you hang the drywall. Then the fourth step is I could release you. Um, I could empower you to go to uh, Laura's house and hang drywall, for instance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it occurs to me that another piece of empowerment, another ingredient is authority. So we have to teach, train, equip, and then give the authority to actually carry out the work. Ooh. And the interesting part about that is we have to give people the authority to be wrong. When you say wrong, you mean fail? Yes. So they're going to hang the drywall and they fail at it. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm, yeah. Well, and it's not so much the authority. I'm feeling this out with you, by the way. Yeah. The, it's not so much the authority to fail, but the authority to make decisions that could fail. Right. So uh, if you want people to work independently, one of the complaints I hear a lot from business owners is my employees always come back to me. They don't do anything independently. They won't do anything on their own. And what a lot of times what's behind that is they've been quote unquote empowered. The owner thinks to do the work, Mm -hmm. but the, the employee doesn't actually feel like they have the authority to make decisions. And that can either that can either come out of an owner or a manager looking over someone's shoulder to the point that they don't feel like they trust them to make the decision or they make the decision and they're wrong and they they get some retribution, some punishment Mm -hmm. for being wrong. So the environment tells the, the employee that my manager is going to either punish me. So therefore, I'm not going to make the decision. I don't have the authority to make the decision. Or they're, mm-hmm. they're micromanaging me so they don't trust me to make the decision. So mm-hmm. the authority, I think, you can't be empowered. Maybe I should ask that as a question to you. Can someone actually be considered empowered to do a job without the authority to make decisions that could end up being a mistake? What's interesting is you do a, maybe a deeper dive there. Can you be empowered if you don't have clarity on what the vision, value, or purpose is? Like if, if the value, if the value of, uh, your business, one of your values is, um, uh, I'll just pull this out, uh, to be honest and forthcoming, right? That's one of your values is transparency, authenticity, honesty. And then, uh, you teach, train and equip somebody to go execute task. You empower them, but the, I say, but you empower them to make decisions that don't compromise your vision or your values. So when they fail, did they fail at something? Did they fail at the task that doesn't compromise your vision, value, or purpose? Does that make sense? Uh, It does. And and I would say that empowering someone to have the authority, I think I see the tie-in you're making. Without an understanding of vision, value, and purpose, 
if I were giving someone direction or empowering someone, it would make me nervous to give them the authority to make decisions if I didn't feel like we were on the same value and purpose plane. Yeah. So we, I, I was trained uh, to say to our young staff, um, give me three examples of how you're going to solve this challenge that don't compromise our, our values. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they're empowered to uh, make recommendations of three decisions. And then when they bring those three decisions to me, I have the ability to say to them, um, you know, the, do all three, you know, hey, Paul, these are the three solutions you have to the problem. Uh, I see this one is compromising, potentially compromising our, our values. So I would say you have empowerment or slash permission to pick one of the two of those. You can pick one or two because they don't compromise our values. And I'll live with the consequences of your decision, which I think that's a big piece of it mm-hmm. is living. You know, I'll live with the consequences of your decision even. Right. So if you're wrong, Paul. You're empowered to make that decision and I'll live with your failure because or your misstep because you made a decision. You were empowered to make a decision that didn't compromise our values. And so 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 in the in the definition of or in the act of empowering someone would fall. Create or making clear the parameters within which the decisions have to be made or should be made and values and values and purpose would be part of those parameters in a more very much more tactical sense not that vision and purpose are not tactical but in a much more sort of tactical tangible sense it would be important to give people the financial parameters and so forth that they have to work within while making those decisions so that that's eminently clear as well Mm -hmm. Well, so, in so couple, clarity, yeah, clarity it, it, it wrapped up would be uh, part of empowerment. Clarity, yes, clarity on both sides, because when you were talking, I just wrote the word trust and confidence mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that the longer I know you, um, that I have more trust and confidence in your ability to make decisions that don't compromise our values. And so um, if I'm just meeting you for the first time it's hard to empower you um, because I don't know, even if I was very clear with our values, right? So I said, hey, Paul, we have a, a, a high value at a learning glass for uh, authenticity, honesty, transparency, but I'm meeting you for the first time and, or, or we don't know each other that well. It's hard to, it's hard. I'm gonna say it's hard to empower you um, to make decisions before I trust you. Hmm. That's a, it's a slippery, that's a slippery slope, isn't it? That's an interesting, uh, concept that does empowerment of the team member require trust from the manager. Yeah. From the manager's perspective, I would say yes. They're not. They're going to hesitate to empower anyone. Yeah. Well, with when you they're, th- going to, they're yeah. going to hesitate to give the authority necessary for empower for true empowerment. 
if there's a lack of trust. They might they might give the teaching, training, equipping, but they're not going to give the authority uh, until there's trust. Maybe trust is built through the other processes, but. Well, yeah. and, and think, think about this as you in real life is that if somebody on your team is empowered, uh, so let's say we have Joe, and Joe's been trained, he, we've been casting vision for him, he, we've, you and I believe he understands our values, right? Joe's, Joe's been properly trained, Joe has, we, you and I believe that Joe has clarity on, on our values. When Joe goes out into a situation does he feel empowered to make a decision based on his belief that Paul and Jerry are going to live with whatever decision he made? Like, like Paul and Jerry are not going to throw him under the bus if he fails. To be empowered would mean that Joe feels like I have full authority to make the decision. And even if it goes wrong, Paul and Jerry are going to have my back. I think that's... I think that's critical. I, I, I think that's a critical piece for empowerment is for your, for your guy, in this case, Joe, to have supreme confidence that whatever decision he makes, he's empowered to make it. And Jerry and Paul, from a leadership standpoint, are not going to throw him under the bus. So in your example, that, in your example, then, if Joe is a new, let's say, a new manager and he's not had experience with this empowerment before how would he know that how would he have that confidence when i think that's the reality of that it takes some time i think it i think it takes some time to say to joe hey joe uh, when you're faced with situations i want you to come up with three solutions and bring those to me bring those three solutions to me that don't compromise our vision value and purpose and then after Joe creates a, a reputation of making good decisions, um, then I could see him feeling more empowered to make decisions on his own. Mm-hmm. So my mind went, as you were talking about that, to environment. What's the environment or the culture that Joe sees around him? So this might be Joe's first foray into decision making and problem solving, but certainly other people in your company or a company are making decisions. And so isn't it then the responsibility of the leader, manager, whatever we're talking about, Mm -hmm. isn't it the responsibility of the leader to create an environment where Joe can look at his peers and say, well, Susie did X and it went wrong. How did Paul react when Susie made a bad decision and something went wrong that cost the company money. No doubt. Joe's going to make that. No doubt. Joe's going to go, I saw Susie get pounded over the head or Paul yelled and screamed at her when she screwed up. I'm not, no doubt. I'm not going to get that. I'm not doing For that. For sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a huge ingredient. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a huge ingredient. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. And they're watching. Yeah. They're watching how you respond and react. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's interesting, Paul. I, I've had conversations privately um, with team members, and you know, or or multiple multiple leaders, and say to them, um, "Hey, just for the record, I totally disagree with both of you. However, your decision does not compromise our values. I don't think it's going to work. For the record, I want you to know that I'm in disagreement with you." 
but I also want you to know that I fully support you. And if it goes sideways, I'll stand in front of the company and I'll say, hey, I um, agreed to this decision and it went sideways and I'm responsible for it. So from a leadership standpoint, I think it's important for my guys to know that I'm going to take the bullet for their decisions that they make if they're empowered to make those decisions. And I think that's a I think that's one of the ingredients is that when somebody's empowered to make a decision um, in your company or under your charge, because, you know, it could be your company, it could be, you know, whatever, whatever tribe we're talking about Uh um, is the leader is going to take ownership of the failure of that. So if one of my guys goes out and makes a decision because he's he's been empowered to do so and it goes sideways. I stand up and take that bullet as the leader. Mm-hmm. What if he makes a decision that goes sideways that wasn't officially technically empowered? Well, you, as a leader, you still take ownership because he's under your charge, but you have a private conversation with him and say, hey, you weren't empowered to make that call, right? So, sure, or you, or you uh, give him productive feedback about why the, why the call went wrong. So I think I asked the question because it's difficult if you want to create back to that example I gave of business owners who complain that their employees always come to them for everything. If you want to, if we want as leaders and business owners to create an environment where employees make decisions, we need an environment where it's safe to be a risk taker and to, to make that iffy choice. And, it, and, and so I think, uh, again, I'm feeling through this with you as we go here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it could be at that moment where that employer, that team member makes that decision. And maybe they weren't even empowered to make the decision or have the authority to make the decision. Do we have to judge as a leader whether or not the culture of, of being courageous enough to make a choice in the moment is more important than correcting that employee and that individual choice. There's certainly Mm -hmm. a learning moment there, but I wonder what ripple effect damage it could do to, to creating that culture where it's safe to make decisions. If, if the difference being that he wasn't technically empowered to make it, or she wasn't technically empowered to make it and she made it anyway. Well, you and I, you and I probably have can share on it. We can recall Um, I know I can recall very quickly and easily times in our company or times in organizations where I felt like nobody would make a decision without asking me. Uh And at first blush, that kind of sounds appealing, like I'm in charge and uh, I'm an authority figure and um, uh, and I'm the expert. And so therefore, having people come to me to ask um, what I think we should do um, feels uh, it, it can feel very good, right? Like people come to you and say, Hey, Jerry, what do you think we should do on this? It's like, wow, they're coming to me because I'm an expert. It makes mm-hmm. me feel good. Mm-hmm. But, but we also know that is your responsibilities are increasing and more and more people are coming to you asking what we should do now all of a sudden it becomes a burden, right? So at first having one or two guys come to you and say, Hey Paul, you're an expert. What do you think we should do on this? Mm-hmm. At, f- at first it feels good. 
then when you have 27 people come to you saying, hey, what do you think we should do? <laughs> then you start you start talking about those people differently, don't you? You start mm-hmm. saying, gosh, I don't have anybody that can make a decision to me to make, you know, nobody will make a decision on their own. Everybody comes to me. And unfortunately, when that happens, when that has happened in my career, so I'm 50, I'll be 52. That's happened to me a lot. And most of the time, I, I wasn't self-aware enough to realize, my gosh, I've created this because people are not empowered to make decisions. I haven't trained them. Right. And so it's, it's much easier for me to, to lament or complain about them as opposed to looking at myself, which you and I know each other well enough that you know that um, I have stumbled through these challenges over and over and over and over again and still do and realize that, oh, my gosh, it's my responsibility to train them. It's my responsibility to make sure all the ingredients to your point, And I think that's a great word. Make sure all the ingredients um, are there to have a successful culture um, where their people are empowered to make decisions. Um, yeah, I've been, I, I completely resonate with what you said because I've been guilty of having the thought of nothing happens around here unless I make it happen. And that's both arrogant and foolish because it, it's probably true. But in my, sure. in my case, it's, was, it was more likely true in the past because of my inherent perfectionism. So I could see where my staff would think, I'm not going to do all this because Paul's just going to tell me I did it wrong anyway, or I need to tweak it 20% to make it right. For sure. Because I had this inherent need to have everything done exactly the way I would do it. And so I was, yeah. that was very disempowering to my staff because they would, they would think, why put the effort in? He's going to change sure. it anyway. And for sure. So that, you know, there, there, there's the, I think the missing ingredient there, of course, is trust, like you said, and authority to do the work and then maybe not sharing well enough the, the parameters of the results or outcome being focused on results versus focused on the process. But yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and as leaders, it's always hard to see where something goes wrong in your company uh, and then yeah. to say, what did I do that caused that? It's so easy to blame Joe yeah. or Susie or Bill, you know? For sure. There's certain words that, that are terms that people say that um, are like lightning rods on this topic. So if people say things like, well, if you want it done right, you got to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. If, 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 you, if you say things like, you know, I'm a perfectionist, so I just want it done the right way. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are those are all statements that um, if you pull back the curtains, there's, you know, the control freak in me. Um, gosh, it's really, really interesting. It's a, and for me personally, it's a, because I am a control freak is it's a, it's a learning and then it's a relearning and it's, you know, the, the, the reminders, just even having this conversation is a reminder for me, um, to spend the time with the guys, which, you know, which that's another lightning rod time. Like I got to spend time to train people, uh, to make, to make good decisions. Yeah, you're right. There are phrases like that that are lightning rods, as you're saying. And those are the phrases, actually, that are the openings to find the core of the issue. Because the one that you used, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. You hear that all the time. The question that should follow that is, why is that? Why is it that way? 
and it probably takes a little digging, but at the bottom of that digging, more than likely the true core answer is it's that way because I suck at teach training, equipping and empowering people to do it as well as I can do it. Yes. That's probably the core answer to that. It's not that people are inept or unable to do it. It's that I'm inept and unable to teach them how to do it or make the result clear enough that they can actually achieve it. Because uh, to say that if something needs to be done right, I got to do it myself is incredibly arrogant and, and foolish because uh, it's overvaluing our talents and skills to think that there's, you know, how many billions of people in the world and we think we're the only ones that can yeah. do it right. Is, is ridiculous, no doubt. ridiculous really. now, now there is a there there are people that um are uh, there there are people that are just so even 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 through multiple attempts of empowering them multiple attempts of training them there are people that just won't they they seem so gun shy they won't pull the trigger and it's you know there's self-image there's all kinds of baggage there but there's one guy in particular, and I, I can't remember where I read this, um, but um, uh, th- they had an acronym, and it was Plan, Orient, Decide, and Act. And again, I can't remember what book I read that I that I got that from. But this, the, there's one young man that I'm thinking of that um, he's fully competent. He he understands our values. He's completely empowered, and yet his self-image, I believe, gets in the way of him pulling the trigger. So with him, when I read that book, um, and it talked about plan, orient, decide, and act, that's a, uh, I, pu- I put those terms in front of him, and I said, okay. And I would have to actually help walk through, what's the situation, okay? And what's the, what's the plan? You know, give, me, give me a suggested plan. You know, orient yourself to the, um, uh, to the situation and the consequences, if this, then that's. Uh, Plan, orient, decide. Make a decision, right? You're going to pick this one and now act. Go do it. Like I want you to stand up from this meeting and go into your office and pick up the phone and make that decision. And then after you do so, come back to me and tell me how it went. So some guys, some guys, um, you'll, you'll spend a lot of time um, training them, equipping them, getting them ready to uh, you're, you've empowered them to make the decision, but their self-image is really holding them back to pull the trigger. And so those, those, those folks need uh, some more encouragement or maybe directive to go pull the trigger. I totally agree with your assessment. I totally agree that this is the right thing to do. Now go do it. And that's probably a deeper discussion. There are personality types that are very uncomfortable with um, responsibility and authority. And so they're always going to be more hesitant to make decisions. And then there's also the question of what's happened in that young man's life previous to your interaction with him that's made, yes, him, for sure. made him more or less willing or able to yeah. take on the accountability or responsibility of actually taking action and deciding. So the the and, and I agree with what you're saying. There are certainly those individuals who are going to s- struggle to be decisive and to take action. Mm-hmm. And they're going to need someone else to lead them. But that's why we have some, mm-hmm. some people are leaders and others are not. Uh, mm-hmm. The caution I would throw out for business owners uh, and leaders in any arrangement, not just businesses, is, yeah. is not to take an exception like that or to take 
that situation and use it as a reason to stick with, see, no one wants to take accountability or responsibility or authority. Broad stroke, no doubt. Yeah. Agree, agreed, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Broad stroke statements. It, you know, th- those are those are things I've heard myself say over the years as well, and it's just a, it gives me an out, mm-hmm. um, as as opposed to doing more self reflection or, um, yeah, doing a deep dive on my uh, my responsibilities. Because if that young it's man really, worked for really me, good. my first question for him would be, "What is it about me that's keeping you from doing this?" Hmm. Yeah. Knowing that it's my job to create the environment where he feels safe making the decision. Yeah. That, that has to be the first reflective question is what is it about me or, or the environment you're working in that makes this difficult for you? And it may not mm-hmm. be that. It's possible that it's not that. But it's so much more productive, I think, for us to start there as leaders. What is it about our leadership mm-hmm. that's causing this issue? Uh, because, and then we have the ability to change it. If it's someone else, we can't change them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's probably for most most leaders. That's the exception, not the norm. Mm-hmm. For most leaders, um, you know, it it's not spending the time, teach training, equipping people to be empowered to make decisions. And um, yeah, that's that's the that's the norm of the alpha leaders that I see as well. And it's so easy to miss you know, a blind spot for, for many is it's so easy to miss the nuances of our behaviors that make other people feel unsafe. That's right. Yeah, I agree. That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. That's good. All right. So I'm going to do a hard stop at 30 minutes and I will follow up with you via email and text. Sounds great. All right. Have a great day. You Thanks, do the Paul. Same. All right. Thanks, bye. Bye-bye. This week's topic was motivation, like what motivates others. And gosh, we've had a lot of really interesting conversations that have been rich um, and helpful. And one of the visuals that uh, was given uh, this week was to visualize yourself in a dinghy out on the sea. And we use the Sea of Galilee because it's only seven miles wide, I think, and like 14 miles long or something. And it's 150 feet deep. So there's the storms come up over the mountains and it can go from very calm to very choppy, very quick. So we've used that as an example and envision that you're in a dinghy and you can see the safe harbor across the, the, the sea. You can see where you want to go. You got a quick, you got a visual of where you want to, where you want to go. And I visualize myself in the front of this dinghy with a with an oar, just rowing like crazy and in full sweat, uh, just going towards that um, going towards that safe harbor. And then you look back over your shoulder, and one of your coworkers is in the back of the dinghy, and he's paddling the wrong way. And then the third guy is sitting in the dinghy, and he's just got his hand in the water. He's just seems to be along for the ride. And you're paddling like crazy, like you're motivated. You are motivated to get to that safe harbor. And you look and you're, you're one of your teammates, your staff, your coworker, your trade partner, um, your customer, they're, they're rowing in the opposite direction. And you look at this and you're saying, okay, I, 
for me to go back in the you know in the back and talk to them, I got to actually put my oar down. I got to take my oar out of the water, and I got to stand up and I got to go back and either kill the guy, or flip him overboard, or talk to him about hey why are you motivated to be rowing in the opposite direction and at the very worst I want him to put the oar down and at the very best I would love him to start rowing in the same direction that I'm going and motivation is really interesting to me because it seems like that's it seems to be a pretty good metaphor for leading and trying to motivate other people and the reality is that when you go back to talk to them, they're actually rowing in the opposite direction. When I set my oar down to go back in the back of the dinghy to talk to this guy, I'm actually going to lose ground. And I've got to be willing sometimes to lose ground, to go in the opposite direction, to go back to engage my teammates and see if I can't capture their imagination, cast some vision, motivate them to actually either put the oar down or start rowing in the same direction that I'm rowing. Fascinating topic has been really depth, a lot of depth. You know, a lot of the a lot of men will say, you know, what motivates them is money. And I think that's just a quick uh, knee-jerk um, answer. I think you know, why does the money motivate you? You know, is it providing for your family, which affects your self-worth? You know, what really motivates you? Respect, appreciation, um, just the, the, the self-worth that you feel of doing a good job. Where's the motivation coming from? Anyway, it's been really interesting, fun topic this week, and uh, it's been incredibly helpful. So have a great weekend. This week's topic was motivation, like what motivates others, and gosh, we've had a lot of really interesting conversations that have been rich um, and helpful. And one of the visuals that uh, was given uh, this week was to visualize yourself in a dinghy out on the sea, and we use the Sea of Galilee because it's only seven miles wide, I think, and like 14 miles long or something, and it's 150 feet deep, so there's the storms come up over the mountains, and it can go from very calm to very choppy very quick, so we've used that as an example. And envision that you're in a dinghy, and you can see the safe harbor across the, the, the sea. You can see where you want to go. You got a quick, you got a visual of where you want to, where you want to go, and I visualize myself in the front of this dinghy with a with an oar, just rowing like crazy and in full sweat, uh, just going towards that um, going towards that safe harbor. And then you look back over your shoulder, and one of your coworkers is in the back of the dinghy, and he's paddling the wrong way. And then the third guy is sitting in the dinghy, and he's just got his hand in the water. He just seems to be along for the ride. And you're paddling like crazy. Like you're motivated. You are motivated to get to that safe harbor. And you look and you're, you're one of your teammates, your staff, your coworker, your trade partner, um, your customer. They're, they're rowing in the opposite direction. And you look at this and you're saying, okay, I, 
for me to go back in the you know in the back and talk to them, I got to actually put my oar down. I got to take my oar out of the water, and I got to stand up and I got to go back and either kill the guy, or flip him overboard, or talk to him about hey why are you motivated to be rowing in the opposite direction, and at the very worst I want him to put the oar down. And at the very best, I would love him to start rowing in the same direction that I'm going. And motivation is really interesting to me because it seems like that's it seems to be a pretty good metaphor for leading and trying to motivate other people. And the reality is that when you go back to talk to them, they're actually rowing in the opposite direction. When I set my oar down to go back in the back of the dinghy to talk to this guy, I'm actually going to lose ground. And I've got to be willing sometimes to lose ground, to go in the opposite direction, to go back to engage my teammates and see if I can't capture their imagination, cast some vision, motivate them to actually either put the oar down or start rowing in the same direction that I'm rowing. Fascinating topic, has been really depth, a lot of depth. You know, a lot of the a lot of men will say, you know, what motivates them is money. And I think that's just a quick uh, knee-jerk answer. I think, you know, why does the money motivate you? You know, is it providing for your family, which affects your self-worth? You know, what really motivates you? Respect, appreciation, um, just the the self-worth that you feel of doing a good job. Where's the motivation coming from? Anyway, it's been really interesting, fun topic this week, and uh, it's been incredibly helpful. So, have a great weekend. This week's topic was motivation, like what motivates others, and gosh, we've had a lot of really interesting conversations that have been rich um, and helpful. And one of the visuals that uh, was given Uh, this week was to visualize yourself in a dinghy out on the sea and we use the Sea of Galilee because it's only seven miles wide I think and like 14 miles long or something and it's 150 feet deep so there's the storms come up over the mountains and it can go from very calm to very choppy very quick so we've used that as an example and envision that you're in a dinghy and you can see the safe harbor across the, the, the sea. You can see where you want to go. You got a quick, you got a visual of where you want to, where you want to go. And I visualize myself in the front of this dinghy with, a, with an oar, just rowing like crazy and in full sweat, uh, just going towards, that, um, going towards that safe harbor. And then you look back over your shoulder, and one of your coworkers is in the back of the dinghy, and he's paddling the wrong way. And then the third guy is sitting in the dinghy, and he's just got his hand in the water. He just seems to be along for the ride. And you're paddling like crazy. Like, you're motivated. You are motivated to get to that safe harbor. And you look, and you're, you're one of your teammates, your staff, your coworker, your trade partner, um, your customer... They're, they're rowing in the opposite direction. And you look at this and you're saying, okay, I, 
for me to go back in the you know in the back and talk to them, I got to actually put my oar down. I got to take my oar out of the water, and I got to stand up and I got to go back and either kill the guy, or flip him overboard, or talk to him about hey why are you motivated to be rowing in the opposite direction and at the very worst I want him to put the oar down and at the very best I would love him to start rowing in the same direction that I'm going and motivation is really interesting to me because it seems like that's it seems to be a pretty good metaphor for leading and trying to motivate other people and the reality is that when you go back to talk to them, they're actually rowing in the opposite direction. When I set my oar down to go back in the back of the dinghy to talk to this guy, I'm actually going to lose ground. And I've got to be willing sometimes to lose ground, to go in the opposite direction, to go back to engage my teammates and see if I can't capture their imagination, cast some vision motivate them to actually either put the oar down or start rowing in the same direction that I'm rowing. Fascinating topic has been really depth, a lot of depth. You know, a lot of the, a lot of men will say, you know, what motivates them is money. And I think that's just a quick uh, knee jerk um, answer. I think you know, why does the money motivate you? You know, is it providing for your family, which affects your self-worth? You know, what really motivates you? Respect, appreciation, um, just the, the, the self-worth that you feel of doing a good job. Where's the motivation coming from? Anyway, it's been really interesting, fun topic this week, and uh, it's been incredibly helpful. So have a great weekend. Good morning. Richard. Good morning. Jerome. <laughs> That's right. Jerome. That's right. So what motivates you this week there, Rick? What motivates me this week? And or what's your uh just jumping right in, what's your I've 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 enjoyed reading yours and everybody else's entries, what motivates them, what they think motivates their company. Uh, well, that was fascinating. Um, what they think, uh, what they think motivates their coworkers, um, and what motivates them. So, if you want to take a swing at any of the those three to launch us, yeah, that's uh, those are those are good. I, you know, as I consider what motivates others, things that came to mind are um, respect. Hmm. Um, other things that came to mind were vacation, um, and uh, a desire to be heard and understood. Hmm. Those are those are good ones. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. For me personally, I thought all three of those. Yeah. It's always risky, especially if you're taping something or documenting something. But, um, you know, what mo- what motivates your company? And so I, I launched with that Monday. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting that um, I think most people think, many people think 
that what motivates me as the, I am the company. So Alluring Glass or Jerry, it's, for me, it's the same thing um, with the, because we're small business, obviously. And so um, I think, I think some of the guys think that what motivates me is money, making money. And uh, for me personally, uh, the, the motivation I have for money is pale in comparison to the motivation I have for trying to figure out how to do something to leave a legacy behind. Mm-hmm. And, however, I don't know that if, if you're pursuing leaving a legacy behind, I'm not sure that money doesn't go with it, but it doesn't go before it, I guess, is what I'm trying to... The point I'm trying to make is that the legacy goes before a result of trying to leave a legacy in, in context of our business would be that there would be profit associated with that. Right. So I guess m- money would be a little bit of the motivation, but a bigger pull of motivation would be, you know, trying to leave a legacy behind of, you know, the best trade partner that, our company was our brand was the best trade partner and um, one of the reasons that we will become or want to become a, the best trade partner is because of all the value add that we're trying to provide leaders and owners within the trades so did anyone uh, did anyone say that well it's interesting that um, they a couple of them wrote that that um, they, they said the vision of the company is to be known as the best trade partner on the residential side of the trades in Cincinnati um, or the tri-state or Dayton or whatever city. But the, the guys that um, the guys that were sitting there all live in the tri-state. So anyway, yes, that's what they documented. That's what a couple of them documented. Now, it's one thing for them to document that the Learning Glass wants to be the best trade partner in the tri-state. The next piece to that is, for them, does it motivate them? Like, are they motivated to, to, to that vision? Are they motivated to that vision? Um, and that's unfortunately uh, the answer to that is unlikely it's it's unlikely that they're motivated to that vision at the same level that I'm motivated to that vision so what so what motivates them and depending on the season of their life to your point um, you know they may they may value they may be motivated by more vacation uh, they may be motivated by to your point more respect they may be motivated by being heard. I think that was the one of the third the third points that I think you made. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. Well, so, there, is there ahead. a way for you to identify their motivations and somehow align um, align? the result of their motivations to fulfill your vision 
Yeah, it's a good question. So if, um, if, if your company's, well, whatever organization that you're leading, right? So it could be Meyer Brothers. It could be your church. It could be the soccer, youth soccer team, whatever you're leading, whatever Rick Meyer or Jerry Bierman, whatever we're leading, um, the people in our charge, uh, they're either rowing with you, right? Yep. Or they're rowing against you, or they're just a passenger watching you row, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I say right. I mean, that's those seem to be the three. So, turning that back to you, if in the context of Meyer Brothers or your church or your soccer team, um, can you visualize people in your charge? It, which is interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna reframe that because um, as a leader, we need to learn to lead up, and we need to learn to lead sideways. So, it, you know. How, how do you lead your boss? How do you influence your boss? How do you influence a coworker who, who you don't have? They're not a reporting relationship to you, Rick. Uh, a church is a perfect example where there's the currency. You know, you're not writing them a paycheck. They're volunteers. Uh-huh. Um, so, so leading upward, leading horizontally, or leading downward. Um, can you see people that are uh, rowing against you? And can you see people that are rowing with you? And can you see people that are just passengers on the, uh, on the boat, so to speak? Can you, can you visualize that those three types of people in the context of your, your, your job, your ministry and your, uh, coaching? I, yes, I can. So turning the question back to you, if somebody's rowing with you, uh, how do you motivate them if they're if they're rowing in the same direction you're rowing? Um, yep. How how might you motivate them? Well, I feel like encouragement is because we're 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 rowing the same direction, so it's I feel like it's a thanks for thanks for rowing yeah. with me. Let's keep sure. keep doing this. Look where we're going. Yeah. So it's encouragement and. Uh, and what you just said, it's, it's more vision casting. Look where we're going. Yep. Um, it might be, look how far we've come. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, we're still moving. That, that would be the encouragement. Certainly. What, uh, what if they're rowing against you? I tip them out of the boat. <laughs> well, that's certainly, that, that's certainly a, a, a good decision, right? <laughs> if they're rowing against you. No, I would say uh, that's, I think that's the most difficult, clearly, but I, I think that difficulty may be just in my own life, I feel like, oh man, I don't know how to, I don't know how to bring alongside those rowing against me, because I think sometimes it's people that um, perhaps just don't know they're rowing against me um they might think they're doing the right thing so what might be some action steps for you to try to motivate them to either at very least put their oar down to stop rowing against you right um at at very best start rowing 
with you and the ultimatum might be either become neutral or become positive rower or get off the boat. Yeah. So how, how might you motivate them? Um, I feel like it might start with a uh, trying to understand mm. why are they why are they rowing in that direction, and so to seek understanding from them. Um, is it just ignorance? Is it purposeful? Is it malicious, or is it because they believe? They might realize the direction we're going, but believe in their heart that, no, this is really the direction we need to be going. And they might not necessarily be able to take steer of the ship, but at least mm-hmm. they can row as fast as they can in the opposite direction to try to help slow it down. Mm-hmm. That's good, Rick. Yeah. That's really good. Now, yeah. If you can understand them and where they're coming from, what are their motivations, what's their perspective, then you can accurately analyze this, the situation mm-hmm. and um, come up with appropriate solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess one of my questions from a motivation standpoint is, and as I said that, I've heard so many people say that you can't, you can't, I mean, the context that we're talking about motivation is to try to create a environment or create a picture or to give them some communication that uh, influences them, motivates them to, to move in the same direction that you're moving. Um, so a, a clear, a clearer picture of where you're going and why you're going there. So if you're, if you use the metaphor of rowing a boat, you know, the, the boat, what's the, what's the front of the boat called? Is that the stern? I think so. So whatever the front of the boat's called, you know, you point that in the direction that you want to go contingent upon the elements, right? The wind's blowing, the waves, right? You're, you're, you're going up current, the current sideways, you're, you're pointing the ship. Um, in the direction that you think as a leader, it's going to get you where you want to go. And so it seems like one of the steps I need to take is to make sure that um, I'm clear with uh, those in the boat of where we're going, the direction that we're going, and why we're going there. I think that's one step, yes. And then, you know, the, the, one of the challenges visually is if you're rowing, like you're exerting yourself. And um, when you stop rowing, the, if you're, if whatever the percentage, if you're one person rowing or whatever percentage of the team that you're on is rowing and you stop rowing, then the forward momentum, whatever your contribution is, anywhere from 100% to if you're one of 10 guys rowing, 10%. But that percentage just stopped. So while you're, you're going to the other side of the boat to talk, talk to the guy that's rowing against you, not only are you compromising the direction that you're going, 
and the speed that you're going there. Um, if the guy's that's rowing in the wrong direction, it continues to row while you're talking to him. You're actually losing ground. Yes. Temporarily. Right. Yes. With, with the hopes being that you would gain up that ground later. By either getting him to be neutral. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a good metaphor because is a, is a type A leader putting the oar down is really difficult. As well as, yes, as well as trying to seek understanding from others in the boat. And, and when you're spending the time seeking understanding, um, you're not, you may not be rowing. Right. So the tension there is enormous. It, it, I would say it is enormous, but if you look at a larger picture, if you got 10 people in a boat and you've got nine on board rowing in the right direction, well, if you can invest in the weakest link to get him either off the boat or on board and, or as you onboard other people, yeah, your, your efforts, you can multiply your efforts as opposed to relying on your effort. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just using, I'm visualizing this and I'm sweating and I'm, I'm rowing and I'm tired and, I want to get there. You know, I want to get where, wherever there is for the day. I want to move in that direction. And it, it feels good when I look at where I started rowing in the morning and where I stopped rowing by the end of the day. And I'm, I'm just, as I'm visualizing this and talking through it with you, I'm just recognizing the tension. I mean, it is, there's a lot of tension there. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a lot easier for most leaders myself included for most of the seasons of my life is to just keep rowing. Um, hmm. Yep. And, and not, yeah, that's good. It's real harder to overcome the, uh, the non rowers or the people in the opposite direction. Well, you can see why guys just get in a dinghy, right? A one man, two man, two man dinghy and say, you know what? You know, we're, the, the 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 winds and the current may actually be much stronger than our ability to steer in any direction that's going to get us where we actually want to go. So we're just going to try to stay alive out on these these seas and just we're paddling um, just to stay alive, really. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if the economy's so strong right now that it it probably creates an artificial calm sea which is interesting my devotional yesterday was the the scripture verse that was talking about where jesus calling the seas you know the the um what is it the sea of galilee or whatever that's it's only like seven miles wide and i don't know 14 miles long or something but it's it's set in a specific place that the winds come over the mountains and and create just terrible storms in a moment's notice and um, and so I got that that visual of the rough seas, and then Jesus calming the uh, calming the waters. And I think 
with the robust economy we have today, I think it gives people, gives me a false sense of calmness, you know, where the sea seems calm. Yeah. Um, and yet we know that there's, you know, the seasons change and, and when they change, you know, if I'm in that dinghy, I sure would like to be connected with about a hundred other dinghies yep. that are, that are rowing in the same direction to help support each other. For sure. Yeah. You're doing a good job, Jerry. Thank you. Keep tying those dinghies together. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you got the you got the lead dingbat. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's tough. That's good stuff. Oh, uh, it's good. It's hard. It is. Real life, real tension, real difficult. Yep. Um, good, good to talk through and uh, remind uh, how difficult it is. I. I posted um, yesterday, I watched a tugboat, a little bitty tugboat. I, I taped like 30 seconds of this thing, um, pulling a massive load uh, upstream right out in front of downtown Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, with the rains we've had, the current is just incredibly strong. And this little tugboat was just, I mean, it was barely taking ground. It was it was literally inch by inch, um, and I thought, gosh, that's such a great metaphor for leadership. Is that um, you know, it's a you feel like you're you're pulling a lot of times a massive load, and you feel like many times that you're going upstream against a fierce, strong current, mm-hmm. and. Even with the ground that you're taking, that's taking so much energy, is uh, really minimal. Mm-hmm. That is a good metaphor. That's real. That seems to be uh, a lot of our leadership journey. A little discouraging, um, also. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's it's not downhill. It's not downstream. It's not. Easy. Um, and, and, and I think go ahead. And the encouragement being well there's bunches of encouragement but having another tugboat uh, alongside you uh, or if you use the metaphor of rowing the boat having somebody else in the boat with you rowing in the same direction mm-hmm. or using your metaphor of tying a bunch of dinghies together um, that's encouraging yep you're not alone. You're not alone. That's very encouraging. And you're taking ground despite how small it is. I think that's where the encouragement can come from a lot of times, Rick, is somebody else noticing the ground you're taking. Yep. And I think that's one of the reasons we need community. We need we need a tribe of uh, of leaders that that recognize that it's it's slow, it's arduous, it's inch by inch. Um, many days you're putting the, the, for you, for our leadership to be effective, ultimately, we're going to have to set the row down from time to time and go back and talk to somebody that's rowing in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Or go back and talk to somebody that's not rowing, they're tired. 
and to try to re-engage them and see if you can motivate them. Yeah. It's good stuff. Good stuff. That's good. All right. We're a little bit over today. However, I enjoyed it. As did I. I will uh I will see you momentarily. Okie dokie. Thanks, bud. Thanks, bye.